Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, today we have the privilege of hearing from Reverend Michelle Dwyer. We heard from her on Mother's Day, and just somehow it worked out that we actually, we also get to hear for her, from her on Father's Day, which is just wonderful. Michelle is a high-capacity leader whose relational outlook, spirit-led leading, and humility create space for others to grow in their giftings. Not only does she preach with strong theological grounding, she has a prophetic voice that is needed in our church and denomination today. I love how when she preaches a message, I know she is wrestled deeply through the exhortations and implications in her own life before she comes here and preaches it to us. So let's welcome Reverend Michelle Dwyer. Thank you. It is always an honor and a privilege. As much as I did wonder, how am I qualified to speak on Father's Day? What credibility do I have? to speak to the men, to bless them and encourage them. But I was reminded of my own message on Mother's Day, which is always great when we remember what we preach, (laughs) that in God's great restoration of all things, there's a restoration of what he created between Adam and Eve, where we would be uniquely different, but so needed, so needing both male and female in the full expression of the Godhead. So I'm I switched from who am I to, Father, please fill me with your heart and your words that men, all men, would truly feel honored and affirmed and blessed, encouraged and challenged today. And I know the women will as well. Father's Day is tricky. You can have all kinds of feelings depending on your story today. Mm, These holidays are not Hallmark holidays. Today I'm celebrating the fact that my dad is here with me. That is a rare treat. And then there's my husband who is a good dad to our kids. I have friends who are grieving the loss of a father today. I have others who have disconnection with their father. I know men who have no children. And the beauty of being children of God means that these natural holidays though they may remind us of our brokenness and imperfection of our human experience, we have a heavenly Father who is fully committed to restoring all things. And so we pause in your presence, God, and we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of the restoration of all things. And that even as we're gathered here today, we're an expression of that, the fullness of your family, that we all belong in your family, that we have a place, that we are seen and known and loved, and that we are named by you, our Father. You're calling each one of us son and daughter, and that you know our name. Years ago, I read a book. It's actually 20 years old now. I cannot believe it. Maybe some of you read Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Any of you read that? It was a book written for men, but I read it, and I am so glad I did, because he talks in there about how God has wired men, kind of three broad categories, live an adventure, fight a battle, and rescue a beauty. 
And it was an interesting book. I recommend it. I'm really glad I read it because I stopped fighting some things and started appreciating some things. And that's critical. We are different, and we can find those differences disconcerting unless we celebrate how God made those things to be. So, yeah, I'm a woman here to speak on Father's Day. But I did think, well, can I start with a dad joke? I like dad jokes, even though I'm a woman. Wait a minute, if I tell dad jokes, am I a faux pas? Come on, that was a good one. <laughs> if I tell dad jokes, am I a faux pas? Okay, I'll give you a second chance there. <laughs> I looked it up on the internet because I thought, what makes a dad joke a dad joke if I like them? Not all dad jokes are created equal, though. There's one on the, on the glass highway that I do not like. It makes me groan. But apparently the groan factor is part of a dad joke. See, my husband's smiling because he's been telling this joke and he loves it. Where do dads store their jokes? In a database. <laughs> More of you get that one. <laughs> so it's sort of this dad's love to the groan factor and we love that dad's love to make us do the groan factor. I don't know. But I see you and I delight in you today. I often would say that I would summarize how I see the heart of Father God reflected in men, kind of broadly summarized as a, a fierce desire to provide and protect. A desire to provide and protect. And in this year, I have often watched the men in my life and felt compassion towards the unique ways the challenges of, challenges of this year would land in their dad heart as you are hardwired to reflect God's heart to provide and protect, how challenging it must be to watch your family face disappointments that you can't change. And how difficult it has been for some as financial sh things have shifted and jobs have changed and you long to prov provide for your family. And then there's been all these infringements on our freedoms. And if you're wired to fight a battle, how do you know which part of that battle you're to fight and what that's supposed to look like? I have watched you wrestle and I have prayed for you and I have honored that God has put something in you that's different from what he put in me, but that I can stand by and I can bless it. And as I went to prepare for this message, I had the thought that there was something the Lord put into my heart in January that I think is helpful for all people, male and female. We were, Brian and I were driving home from Calgary. I was down there for some of my schooling and just driving along and all of a sudden I had this thought that seemed like the voice of God to me. Sometimes he gives us thoughts that are his thoughts. And this was the thought. There are mountains that I want you to command to move and there are mountains I want to meet you on. There are mountains I want to command you to move, and there are mount I want you to command to move, and there are mountains I want to meet you on. And I was perplexed and fascinated right away. What does that mean, and how do I know the difference? Are you guys curious about how to know the difference? Good. I'm going to invite you into the journey with me. Really, since the Lord saying I had to live into this message, but then it was going to be a message that I would preach to others, and so I pray you're encouraged. And I am going to tailor it a bit to the guys today. So perhaps like me, as soon as you think of mountains moved, you think of the passage in Mark 11, where Jesus says to his disciples, he says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 22, have faith in God. 
I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe you have received it, it will be yours. I always like to look at context in scripture. We just can't random helter-skelter quote a verse and not even understand where it's coming from. And the beauty of the gospels is there's so much story. So I looked at the context. The day before this, Jesus is in the temple. Oh no, the day before this story is the Hosanna day. Do you remember? Jesus is coming in on a donkey and everyone's waving branches and throwing down their cloaks and they're shouting Hosanna. Can you imagine how the disciples felt? I don't know if any of you have watched The Chosen, but it's really helped me see these 12 men and these other women who went along as so human. So can you imagine how delighted these 12 disciples, you guys put yourselves in their shoes. They have given up their jobs. They are not sleeping at home with their wife every night. They have followed this man who is the Messiah they believe. And finally, the crowds are going, it's true. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Finally. It's about to get some action, this Messiah business. Things are going to really happen now, hey? That night, they were walking back to the village where they're staying. There is a fig tree that is luscious and green but has no figs on it. It's the wrong season for figs. And Jesus says to the fig tree, I curse you, shrivel up and die. And they carry on. The next day, Jesus cleanses the temple. Oh yeah, there's a little power move. Get those oppressors out of here now. It is time to clean things up. The Messiah is on the scene. They're walking back to the village again that night. They see the fig tree. And this is where Jesus says, I say to you, if you speak, in faith, mountains will be moved. Do you think the disciples were expecting and anticipating more big power moves? Do you think they were expecting a cross, crucifixion and death? I think what Jesus was teaching the disciples with this fig tree is that they have authority and their authority often comes through their words. And this is true for us as well. We have all been granted authority, and this authority is often expressed through our words. I tell you the truth, if you say. We see this activated in the book of Acts when Peter and John come to the temple and there's a man begging, and they're like, we have no money. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And a mountain of infirmity and poverty was moved through authority spoken in their words, their faith-filled words. This authority is a beautiful thing. I think we're all trying to learn how to walk in it, to speak powerful words, but there is a counterfeit to this authority. When we're simply engaging in a power struggle, attempting to use the force of our will and our strength, not walking in spiritual authority, but in our own strength, the counterfeit can look like control and cursing and anger and rebellion. And when we do this, we're simply increasing the chaos because we're operating at the same level. We might feel better because we flexed, but we haven't solved anything. Nothing is restored. So how do we know? How do we know what it looks like to speak with the authority of God? 
Well, for starters, we have to hang out with him and know him and know his heart. I'm going to get to a little more of that later. But I want to pause and say, how do we know which mountains we are to move before we leave this passage? Perhaps some of you have heard of George Mallory. He's one of the first Westerners to have attempted Mount Everest. We don't know if he reached the summit because he didn't make it back from his last attempt. He may have, he may not have. But it's reported that journalists asked him, why? Why do you climb Mount Everest? And he's said to have responded, because it's there. Now, I know not everyone is this wired this way, but I am. If there's a mountain there and I can see a mountain, as in fear, chaos, confusion, sickness, strife, I want to move that baby. Right? It's out of godly order. It's frustrating. That in us that is created in the image of God says, here's a mountain, it needs to be moved. It doesn't belong there. It's, it's a demonstration of brokenness on our planet. How many of you have felt that this year? Yeah. There's mountains we need to move. And this is in us because of Christ. Because we have the resurrection life of Christ in us. When he went to the cross, he took all of this stuff to the cross. And when he rose again, it was the greatest flex of all time. Sin, sickness, death, brokenness, defeated by Christ. And so his spirit is in us. And I would say to you today, all of you, and especially encourage you men who have felt things out of sync this year, I bless you to use the authority you've been given in your sphere of influence. Because the first mountains that we are to move are the ones that are in the sphere of our own influence. Where you are is where God wants you to release his authority. In your marriage, in your home, in your workplace, where you show up throughout the day, all of those places is where you get to move mountains. You have authority over fear. You have authority over shame. Judgment, pride, accusation, these are all mountains that you have authority over in your sphere of influence. As you are deeply rooted in the love of your heavenly Father, you have the authority to call out mountains of insignificance and command them to move by naming God-given identity. You have authority to declare truth in a way that moves mountains of hopelessness. You have authority to speak truth that dissolves chaos and binds confusion and releases life by speaking words that have come from the Father to release life here on earth. But what of those mountains that don't seem to be totally under our authority? We pray and we declare and we bless, but the government still makes choices we don't like. There's still sickness on the earth that we have not been able to move. What if you've been practicing generosity and gratitude and you still don't have a job? What if you've done your best to raise your children in the way they should go, but they don't seem headed in that direction? What of these mountains that do not seem to immediately move? These are the ones where we say, I will meet the Lord on this mountain. And so I've been trying to practice this in the last few months as I sit in places of loneliness and 
grieve disappointments that have gone on. As I wait and wonder how God's going to provide for different things, I have declared this is the mountain I'm going to meet the Lord on. And I invite you to do this. What are those immovable mountains in your life? They haven't shifted yet. You're waiting. Maybe you've been waiting forever. I want you to say with me right now, I will meet the Lord. I will meet the Lord here. When we declare our faith and give our worship and praise to God, Dave did such a good job preaching on it last week, we sanctify, that is, we make holy the space of waiting, and the enemy doesn't win there. So I'm going to invite you to join me on a mountain with the prophet Elijah. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of Elijah. It's recorded in 1 Kings, and I'm going to summarize a bunch of it so that we have time for where I want to go. But you'll remember Elijah was a prophet of God during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. You think you're not happy with your government? You may or you may not be. I'm continually thanking God and blessing our government. I want you to know that. But it strikes me funny that sometimes we think we've got it so bad. Jezebel was the most wicked woman to walk the face of the earth, perhaps in all time. And Elijah is going toe-to-toe with her. And she has authorized prophets of Baal. She has authorized, subsidized, cheered them on, promoted them. The prophets of Baal, the false god who provides from an empty well, is exalted as the small g god in Israel. And Elijah's been assigned to go toe-to-toe with that. Let's just put our own struggles in a little perspective. Nonetheless, the Lord has not abandoned him here. So you probably remember the epic story where Elijah is like, I'm going to show up on this mountain. Prophets of Baal, you show up. If your God sends fire on the offering, we'll know your God's real, and I'll just shut up already. But if fire falls on the offering to my God, then we'll know he is the God of Israel. Do you guys remember this story? And so the prophets of Baal all day long sing and shout and cut themselves, and Elijah's like, louder, louder, maybe he's sleeping. And they sing and shout some more and cut themselves, and then he's like, louder, louder, maybe he's going to the bathroom. You guys, the Bible's really funny. It is not a boring book. At the end of the day, Elijah pours water on his offering and he raises his hands in worship to the one true God and fire falls. Talk about moving a mountain of idolatry by showing up. And this is where I'm going to pick up the story, Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He's just come out of this epic battle of this God being proven wrong, idolatry shown up for what it is. His God has shown up, but Jezebel wants his head on a plate. Have you ever felt like, okay, I've seen victory here, God, but I am so freaking tired. I'm still pressed on every side. I have felt that this year. I have seen the goodness of God, and I have felt pressed. And what does Elijah do? Well, first of all, he does something that I recommend to all of us. He lays down and he takes a nap. So when you're feeling pressed on every side, go ahead, take a nap. Prophet of God did. And then an angel woke him up and brought him bread. Can we have some of that, Lord? I would love an angel to wake me up with some heavenly bread. (laughs) And my friends of a certain age, I do want you to notice that the angel brought fresh hot bread, not carrot sticks or kale chips. There are days we do not need carrot sticks and kale chips. We need fresh hot bread. And the reason why I know this is actually true and not just my opinion is that 
Elijah gets up from this fresh hot bread and he runs for 40 days and 40 nights. Not going to do that on carrot sticks and kale chips. But he runs for 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. Should we run to the mountain of God when we're pressed on every side? Mountains still to be moved and we are weary. Elijah runs to the mountain of God. I want to pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, verse 8. It says, Elijah got up and he ate and he drank the food, and it gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. It is the mountain of God. This is where Moses met with God repeatedly. Came down with a shining face. You've heard of where people have met God. You want to run there when you are oppressed. And it says, then he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you find God asks the strangest questions in Scripture? I love it. Why? Why would God say to Elijah, had he not been the one to commission Elijah to do all this hard stuff, poured down the fire, called him to do some more hard work? Say, why have you come? Here's what I want you to know. Your heavenly Father wants to hear from you. What do you need? What do you need? Why have you run to me? Sometimes we don't want to name it because if we name it, we're facing our disappointment. We must name it. He will meet us there. Here's what happens. In verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They have torn down your altars killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Do you hear his exhaustion and his weariness? He's been obedient to God. He's done the best he could. Fathers, I know as parents we end up in this place. I have done the best. I know how. And I am tired. We hear in this that he feels alone. Like all his hard work isn't accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. And here's how the Lord replies to him. He says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Oh, Elijah, everything I know about trauma psychology says this could be the worst possible experience anybody needs at this point. Have you ever been in a windstorm so strong that rocks were blown loose? Trees, but rocks? Ripped off the mountain? Elijah has run to the mountain for some kind of refuge. He's so done. And even there, it is not what he expects. What is Elijah to do? And at the same time, haven't we all prayed and longed that God would show up in power? Send the wind that shakes the rocks loose. We're done with things the way they are. 
Isaiah cries out in chapter 64, 1, oh, that you would burst from heavens and come down, how the mountains would quake in your presence. I have that verse underlined in my Bible because it says something that I feel, oh, that you would come down. And Elijah experiences this. The wind slams the mountain. But that power is not what Elijah needed. And then an earthquake. How many times this year have any of you shared a same wondering I've had. Hebrews 12 talks about this mountain that Elijah's on, this mountain of God, and it says, there's coming a day when I will shake the heavens and shake the earth. I will shake everything until only that which is of me remains. And I have wondered this year as I have watched governments shake and culture tremble and things fall apart. Oh, is this the great shaking? Where all that will remain is of God? My heart burns with that verse, but this is not fun. This is disorienting. I don't like this. Perhaps it is needed and necessary, but it is not a good time. Or how about fire? Fire from heaven. Have any of you read the story of James and John? It's in, in Luke 9, and they're walking along with Jesus, and a bunch of people are basically dissing the Savior. They're not buying it. He's not the Lord. And James and John say, can we call down fire from heaven and kill them? Do any of you chuckle when you read that verse? I do, guess why? I feel this way. <laughs> All those bad people that are causing more pain and increasing suffering, fire! Is there anything in your male hearts that would like fire to fall from heaven and fix some things? Or your female hearts, it's in me. Oh God, fix it, fix it, fix it. I have prayed that this year. I want the breakthrough. And where Elijah experiences God is in the whisper. Men and women, daughters and sons, what you need on this mountain that is not moving is the breath of your father on your face, the sound of his voice in your ear, saying your name. And he knows your name. Every one of you in this room, everyone watching online, could you just for a moment activate your imagination and imagine the breath of God on your face saying your name? I think it would sustain all of us for a little while longer to hear our name and the breath of God in our ears. And this is where the Lord's inviting us today for those mountains that will not move. When all the fierceness in you rises up and says, fix it now, God says, will you be still with me on the mountain and hear my, my voice whispering your name? Son, daughter, beloved. In me is all that you need. Psalm 18, King David writes one of the most beautiful warrior psalms. I love it. I think there's warrior in all of us. And David says he met the Lord on a mountain. And he says, who is God except the Lord? And who is God but our solid rock? King David, great warrior, slayer of giants. King that conquered nations. Had to meet the Lord on the mountain. 
And that psalm goes on in this cascading praise that what God did on the mountain was train his hands for war. He says, you've armed me with strength for the battle. You've subdued the enemies under my feet. You have given me victory. See, all of this power and strength we need is in our Father who wants to activate it in us. Our authority to to move mountains is increased when we meet the Lord on the mountain. Our authority to move mountains is increased when we meet the Lord on the mountain that will not move. And we tune our ears in to the sound of his whisper. He has things to say to you that are going to train your hands for war, that are going to arm you with strength, that will subdue your enemies under your feet. You have not been left alone to fight your battles, to figure it out, to sweat it out, or simply endure. You are invited to meet with God here. Now, when we speak of mountaintop experiences, thunder, fire, and earthquakes, or waiting, are not what we have in mind. We think of them as these glorious moments that quickly pass, and we wish we could live on the mountaintop. Do we not often say this in church culture? There's something God wants to do on these mountains that we say, I will meet the Lord here. This unmoving mountain, I will meet the Lord here. He forges a glory in us that doesn't fade away when we leave the mountain. He forges a glory in us that doesn't fade away when we leave the mountain because we have known him. And we know what he says about us, son, daughter, beloved, chosen one. We feel like we could do without these mountains, but we need what God has for us in them. The enemy of your soul does not get the last word when you are there. And on this mountain, the Lord is preparing you for what is next. There is a next coming, you guys. There are months and years ahead wherein we have an assignment. Elijah on this mountain, after all that was, had already happened that was epic, he had three assignments. He was to go anoint two kings, and he was to anoint another prophet who he was going to mentor and apprentice. His assignment wasn't over at all. He just needed a fresh encounter. And while you're on this mountain, the Lord has things to say to you about what is coming next. His plans for you are good. His purposes for you are good. I know the plans for you, says the Lord. I have for you, they're good. They're to prosper you and not to harm you. They are a hope in a future. We have lost sight of the hope in the future in the weariness of this past year, but it is there. And God has assignments for you that are blessed. They are exciting. They're further expression of his redemption story. And you know what else God reminded him while he was up there? That he was not alone. There were 7,000 others still who had called on the name of the Lord. You are not alone. You are not alone. So we long for the power display. And God wants to meet us there. He wants to deposit glory in us, to mark us, to fill us, and send us out again to partner with him in the restoration of all things. So, my friends, what are those mountains for you? What mountains are in the sphere of your influence that God is reminding you today you have authority to move by the power of your words? Words that come from the heart of the Father to move mountains, not your own strength, but you tuned into his strength. What are those mountains? And what are the mountains that aren't shifting today that you want to say, God, I want to meet you in this place. I want to sanctify 
this space with worship and praise and thanksgiving? Can you lean into him right there and invite him? Lord, I will quiet all my own urgencies, my desire to kick it up a notch, to blow things up. I quiet all of those things in your presence. And as I cry out to you, Abba, Father, will you speak to my name, to me, in a fresh way? He wants to train your hands for war. I'm going to end with another verse out of Psalm 18, the warrior psalm. David says, you've trained me with the weapons of warfare worship, and now I'll descend into battle with power to chase and conquer my foes. You, O oh God, empower me for victory with your wraparound presence. Your power within makes me strong to subdue. And by stooping down in gentleness, by stooping down in gentleness, you strengthened me and made me great. Would you just stand for a moment? I want to pray over you. Spirit of God, here we are gathered, your sons and your daughters. God, we, we just want to move mountains. Where we see things out of order in our homes, in our world, in our culture, we want these mountains to be moved, God. And so we seek you for fresh strategies. Lord, we lay down our own strength, our own vision of how this gets accomplished. And we ask that you'd fill us with your words. Words that carry the authority of heaven to set things right, to release hope, to strengthen and bless and encourage, to bind fear, to annihilate shame. Lord, would you fill us with your words that move mountains? And Lord, while we wait for some of these other mountains that just aren't shifting, we declare, God, I want to meet you in this place. I want to know you in this place, and I want to hear your whisper. So speak to me, God. Lord, we take hope and comfort from these words, and we ask, as David declared, would you bend down in gentleness and strengthen us so that we can rise up in greatness a greatness that is not our own, but a greatness is that is the kingdom of God in us, a beacon of hope, a banner of praise, a sign to the world around us that there is a Savior, a Savior who heals us, who saves us, who sets us free. Jesus, if people are listening today and have not experienced that, we ask now in Jesus' name that you would bring salvation and healing and deliverance. Lord, we want to make your name great on earth as it is in heaven. And so we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.